GamesillaMedia.com. Noise Land Arcade. Welcome to Noise Land Arcade. My name is Craig WK, and with me is my buddy, Sean the Arcade Phantom. Yeah, I'm substituting for myself today. <laughs> Great to have you, uh, the, 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 the better and newer Sean. Uh, Sean, today we're covering Lisa's Substitute. And I feel like there's a lot to talk about in this episode, so we should probably get a move on. Oh, yeah, we got to jump into this one, because there's a ton for this. So, uh, when did this episode first come out, Sean? So, this episode first aired April 25th, 1991. In this touching episode, Lisa becomes infatuated with a substitute teacher after Miss Hoover goes out on medical leave. All the while, Bart runs for class president. So, give you a little bit of info what's going on at the time. Yeah, what's going on in the world at this time, uh, around tw- April 25th, 1991. So, I brought up in a previous episode that the Simpsons Arcade had just recently been released. Oh, yeah, and, and then Bart's, uh, Bart vs. the Space Mutants. Uh, even earlier out. in the season, Street Fighter Two had hit the arcades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this started a big resurgence in arcades in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Arcades started popping up more and more prevalent. Yeah. Everybody wanted arcade games. You'd start seeing them in convenience stores. yeah. And every arcade company started rushing out games as quick as possible. Mm-hmm. Konami could not keep up with the demand for more Simpsons arcade games. Really? They couldn't put them out. So certain test markets around the end of April, beginning of May, uh-huh. started to get a new Konami arcade beat-em-up. Oh, uh, what's that? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Turtles in Time. Probably about the best beat-em-up ever made. Within a month's time, Simpsons Arcade and Turtles in Time had come out in arcades. That's pretty amazing. That's amazing. Those are two of the best beat-em-ups ever made. Yeah. I, I love the the Simpsons arcade game and uh, uh, coming up on The Legend of Retro, uh, maybe even around the time this episode's airing, I think maybe a little after even, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to uh, uh, cover that episode and Turtles in Time is another game that's phenomenal. Uh, yeah, so that's awesome. Yeah. It's kind of amazing that arcades got a huge resurgence in the 90s partially in due to, like, The Simpsons. Yeah, The Simpsons and Street Fighter were two big causes. And the arcades only get, like, one more big resurgence, and that's when Dance Dance Revolution comes out. Oh, yeah, that was kind of the last breath of the arcade, wasn't it? Yeah, they're kind of like a quiet cult thing now. Yeah. So, Sean, while I was looking up news from around this time, uh, on this day, April 25th, 1991, uh, Exxon's plea bargain was rejected by a federal judge for the Valdez oil tanker spill, saying that $100 million million fine isn't harsh enough. So the spill happened on March 24th, 1989, when the Exxon Valdez struck a reef off of Alaska. Uh, The environment was like just decimated around the area as oil just just took over everything. And I it was a huge, huge thing. It's, it's consi- the Exxon Valdez is sort of the, the figurehead, so to speak, for environmental disasters. And there's something in particular that caught my attention about this. So the spill happened in Mar- uh, March of 1989. We're still dealing with the Exxon Valdez in 1991. So I got to thinking, how long did it take them to get this all resolved? Because you would think they should be fast, right? No, cleaning up oil is always a long process. Oh no, no, cleaning up oil is a very long process. But the 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 fees and stuff and like all the legality of it—that's what struck me as strange that it was still going on. I thought that like you know they'd be like, hey, listen, you you owe us this many millions of dollars to, to get this clean up. Give us the money. All right, you know, never do this again. Yada yada yada. So. The court case was finally resolved. So guess when this court case was finally resolved? 1992? <laughs> That's adorable. The court case was finally resolved on December 15th, 2009. Good God. Exxon paid $507.5 million in punitive damages, lawsuit costs, plus interest. And the weird thing is, is I think and I don't know for sure but I feel like the reason they kept it in legal limbo is it kept like 
you know, the government would say, like, you owe us, like, a billion dollars. And Exxon could go, yeah, but we're going to plea that. And and the government would go, no, 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 you owe us way even more than that. And they go, no, 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 uh, plea bargain. And they just kept, like, bouncing it around in court, it seems. And, and I'm hardly a lawyer. I'm hardly a, a you know any expert in this field but it felt like to me that they finally just waited until there was a judge who like was buddies with them or or sympathetic to them whatever the case may be and it trimmed down way lower than like what they felt it should be so weird thing about this and tying this into family guy of all shows oh yeah didn't think i'd be talking about family guy in the simpsons podcast not anytime soon that's for sure so I always thought it was a dated joke in the season three episode of Family Guy. Yeah. Where Peter finds out that he's black. So he sees a black comedian uh-huh. and he says, y'all know that Exxon Valdez thing. Some brother just fell in the ocean. Too much jerry curl. I thought that was a dated joke because Exxon Valdez happened so long ago. Apparently the court case is still going on. So it's not that dated of a joke. Yeah. It, it, that's interesting. I, I, uh... I thought that was just the Family Guy writers being bad and putting dated references in because they think like, oh, that's what was popular when I was younger. No, yeah, the Exxon Valdez case technically did not resolve until December of 2009, nearly 2010. Good God. Yeah, ridiculous. So let's go ahead and dive into the episode. So we see that I, I, uh, how do, how does the episode start? So we have, I, uh, uh, the kids in the class, right? It's like nine fifteen a.m. Yeah, because uh, I, I I always write down the times, and I didn't know if that was a clock in the Simpson house or what. So, uh, one of the kids is like, "I heard she drank drain cleaner." What the hell? I think it was Janie who said that. What the shit, Janie? Uh, another kid's like, "Ah, she fell down a well." Uh, I heard she's been dumped again. And by nine twenty in the morning, we have Elizabeth Hoover. We learn her first name. And uh, Skinner come in, and uh, they reveal that she has Lyme disease, right? Yes. And they, you know, uh, uh, Skinner goes to explain it because Hoover is just, you know. Distraught. Yeah, very distraught. She leaves, and Skinner explains that uh, uh, Lyme disease essentially is like a, a disease, a disease spread by like. In- oh, no, she doesn't leave. She's right there as he explains. Oh, all that's of right. The things. Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, she doesn't leave until after. Uh, it, it's spread by like infected ticks, and uh, and she's just like, oh god. So I have a weird moment about this because mm-hmm. I'm going to spoil the end of the episode for sure. this. Mm-hmm. We learn that she didn't have Lyme disease. That is true. She's essentially a hypochondriac. Uh huh. But she went to the doctor, and the doctor was like, oh yeah, yeah, Lyme disease, totally. Ah, uh, yep, it looks like you got a case of the Lyme disease. What a crappy doctor. I bet she went to Dr. Nick. She probably went to Dr. Nick is what I'm thinking. Dr. Nick Riviera. <laughs> Springfield's uh, uh, resident quack. Ah, So uh, after uh, Skinner explains more details about like Lyme disease and stuff and, and, you know, Hoover's freaking out, we hear a scream come from somewhere on the second <laughs> floor of the school. And Skinner is like, Bart Simpson, I know it's you. And uh, Martin feels like Bart is traumatizing the children with footage of Snowball 2 being born. Okay, okay. So this bugs me. Uh Uh-huh. Because this is not in Martin's character. Yes, he is a kiss-ass Miss Kerbopple. Uh Yes, he is. Martin is the kind of little nerd who would find something like that fascinating. He does also have a very, very weak constitution so maybe it is making him uncomfortable i mean we've seen martin watch an adult film and say it was strangely arousing yeah but there's a fine line between a adult film of uh man and woman making love and a cat being born especially as bart says hey if i put it in reverse it makes him go back in (laughs) which i love that line i love that line (laughs) I just don't feel like Martin would be one of the ones freaking out. I feel like he'd be finding the positive scientific nature to this. So, meanwhile, as Skinner is teaching the class, uh, Lisa's class, because the uh, the uh, substitute teacher is uh, is late, he's teaching what a schwa is, which is an unstressed cons- uh, central vowel. I knew you were going to pull up what a schwa was, so I didn't do the research on a schwa. You're welcome. Uh, and by 9.35, Mr. Bergstrom has come into the class Dressed as a cowboy from 1830. Shooting off pistols. 
And I, I, Skinner is like, are you nuts? And he's like, no, sir, it's to get the children's attention. Uh, and he, he's like, there are three things wrong with my attire. He's like, or uh, three things wrong with my, like, you know, performance. He's like, if you tell me what it is, I'll give you my hat. And what are they, Sean? Lisa thinks she knows what they are. Yeah. What are those three things? So he's got revolvers, which weren't invented yet. Uh, yeah, not uh, wasn't a revolver wasn't invented until 1935. He's got my personal favorite one. Uh huh. Is what he's actually got wrong with him is his digital wristwatch. Yes, but Lisa doesn't catch that. She says that Texas wasn't a state until 1845, and she says that there were no Jewish cowboys. Jewish cowboys. And this line bugs me. Uh huh. So Bergstrom asks. How do you know I'm Jewish? And she says, Jewish or Italian? So, uh-huh. we're going to get into racial stereotypes here for a second. By all means. Because there's a stereotype that people of the Jewish face and Italians both have large noses. Thus, the line, Jewish or Italian, is probably a reference at his large nose. Probably. It's a little racist coming from Lisa. It's a little weird. Yeah. I find it awkward, and I was offended by it. I'll it's, be honest. Yeah, it's a little awkward. Uh, it, it's a little bit of a, uh, but I mean, let's face it, the Italians and the the Jews, especially in the early '90s, are going to get made fun of quite a bit. It's it's you know, I, I think it's you, true. Even to this day, there's still gags and jokes, of course, you know. But uh, yeah, it's a little bit more prevalent back then. And I, uh, uh, but Mr. Bergstrom is is not offended he he puts his hat on her he says you know uh otherwise you know he says uh uh something of the nature of like you know it's actually my digital watch he's like and there were uh many jewish cowboys uh uh that were i think he made some gag about how like they were like big spenders and uh strong uh, men big spenders <laughs> yeah <laughs> which, which is kind of another racial joke but all right fair enough and uh meanwhile uh bart's class is uh having, you know, uh, uh, a run for class president. I'm not sure why Lisa's class isn't, and his is, late in the year, like, whatever. Anywho, uh, we have uh, uh, Martin Prince, who says that uh, he's going to have, like, an A to Z of, uh, or the ABCs of, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, science fiction writers. Asimov, uh, Bester, and uh, Clark. And one of the kids in the class, I think it's Wendell, right? Yeah, it's Wendell. He's like, what about Bradbury? And Martin's like, I'm aware of his work. Uh, as far as that goes, Isaac Asimov is the, and they're all science fiction writers, of course. Isaac Asimov wrote I, Robot. Uh, Alfredo Bester wrote The Demolished Man. Arthur C. Clarke wrote 2001 A Space Odyssey. And Ray Bradbury wrote Something Wicked This Way Comes. Also... Sean. Yes. There's something in particular that catches my attention in this classroom, which is why I feel like it's very strange that they're having a, an election for class president. So I'm going to bring up another Ray Bradbury story, because oh, yeah? there's one that I think is far more important to bring up. Then something wicked this way comes? Ray Bradbury wrote A Sound of Thunder, which if you don't know what A Sound of Thunder is, mm -hmm. A Sound of Thunder is later parodied in The Simpsons in The Treehouse of Horror. Because it is about a group of people who go back in time, and they hear the sound of thunder, and it is a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Oh. But it's not something wicked this way comes, which we watched in middle school together. Yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a weird event. Anywho, I... We could just make a podcast of stupid crap they made us watch in school. <laughs> yeah, we probably could, honestly. Uh, hey, you remember Casper in German? <laughs> Do you remember that weird uh, video of the guy who, like, goes back in time to, like, the Civil War and he, like, dies or something? I don't remember what it was. I just have vague memories. Do you remember that weird one about the rocks that was a musical? Oh, kind of. Yeah. Anywho, <laughs> uh, so the, the reason why I feel like this is a part particularly strange is do you know what month this is taking place in? What month is this taking place in? April. April? It, the calendar in the background says it's April. So mm -hmm. they, they have a month and a half, basically, of school left. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they're holding elections for a class president. Uh-huh. They sure are. Yeah, that seems like it's a good idea. 
Anywho, maybe that's why Lisa's class is not doing it. Uh, maybe Kerbopel just forgot. She just didn't care. And she was like, oh, crap, we need a class president. <laughs> oh, I forgot to do this earlier in the year. Uh, it cuts to uh, uh, Lisa's class. And throughout the episode, we're going to see it kind of bounce around, of course, between them. Uh, and uh, uh, Mr. Bergstrom are, uh, uh, or, or uh, yeah, Mr. Bergstrom is singing like a song and he you know he keeps like mixing in like references and stuff like uh he talks about how uh, uh how like you know life is hard on the range and you know because he's singing home home on the range and he talks about like pemmican a paste of dried and like pounded meat mixed with melted fat and other ingredients yeah he actually gave pemmican to the kids to oh, eat oh that's what it was he gives them the pemmican and then he sings the song while they eat and like he'll like be like home home on the range he'll be like the range was actually not home it was an incredibly dangerous area and he like he like whispers it to the kids he's super super great voice and and who does that great voice why it, it's a person's name i've never heard of in the credits sean sam etic yeah sam etic i don't get it who would that be sam etic sam yeek that's a bit of a, uh, a touchy joke. Who would make such a joke, Sean? Why, Dustin Hoffman, of course. Dustin Hoffman is the voice of Mr. Bergstrom, delivering a wonderful performance. Oh, absolutely fantastic. A lot of One emotion. One of the best guest stars on The Simpsons. There's so much emotion in his voice. So I personally am in the camp where if a guest star plays a character on The yeah. Simpsons, they're infinitely better than someone who's just them being themselves. Oh, for sure. I think that the, the, you can get away with gags. In a previous episode, we talked about how Ringo Starr yeah. had been made, it worked into the plot, and I think that works. But look at Mr. Bergstrom. Look at Carl. Yeah, there's so much better of characters, and like they fit into the plot way better. And like as The Simpsons moves on, we'll see more and more times where like you know they you know do a crappier job with celebrities. I, uh, but I... You know, I mean, right now, like that, Dustin Hoffman's performance of Mr. Bergstrom is phenomenal. Dustin Hoffman's performance anywhere is phenomenal. He's just a phenomenal actor. Yeah, we absolutely see that here. I. Uh, it cuts back to well, actually, no, I'm sorry. It, it cuts to uh, it's still on Lisa, and uh, she gets a a a drawing of Mr. Bergstrom that says the singing dork that the kids are passing around the, the class. Cause you know, Lisa's infatuated, uh, well maybe not yet infatuated with Mr. Bergstrom. Well, actually no, she probably is. She, she is. Yeah. She really likes Mr. Bergstrom. She appreciates the, the fact that like he's, he's much more on her level and you know, this singing dork drawing, Mr. Bergstrom catches while it's on Lisa's desk. And I, uh, he's like, did you draw this? I love this part, by the way. It's, I absolutely oh, love yeah. this part. And she's like, she's like, no, no, I didn't draw. I would never draw such thing. It was He's one like, of the more immature children. Yeah. And uh, uh, and Mr. Brookstrom's like, well, it looks great. Can I have it? And she's like, well, yeah, but I didn't draw it. And he's like, are you sure you didn't draw it? And she's like, well, now I'm starting to wish I had. Yeah, it's so good. And uh, the kids laugh as he takes the drawing and walks off with it. And another drawing lands on her desk. And it's uh, Lisa, uh, the singing dork. And it's like her... I, uh, you know, with like, you know, the guitar and like the cowboy hat and stuff. And it makes you wonder, why didn't the kids like I feel like the the easy drawing at that point is Lisa with a bunch of hearts around her looking at a drawing of Mr. Bergstrom looking like, you know, he's got smell lines and stuff off him. Right. Yeah. But I mean, singing door cat works. Yeah. I, I she plays so. saxophone. They all know it. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair She's enough. musical. Yeah, it works. I uh, meanwhile, I uh, Krabappel, I, I. While, you know, Bart gets uh, uh, told he should, you know, run for a class president by Sherry and Terry, who just love to throw him into the limelight so they can, like, harass him. One of them has a crush on Bart. I don't remember which oh, one. I always yeah. forget that. Yeah, I don't. That was a late, later season uh, reference, I think. My but sister yeah. sister likes you. I don't remember what it was or who it was. We'll have to look that up. I feel like we always say that. We'll look it up. We'll find it in a future episode. Uh, but so I... Uh, you know, is like, Bart, I need you to take this very important letter to uh, Principal Skinner's office. It just says, keep Bart busy. And she tells the kids that they shouldn't instigate Bart, you know. I, we have uh, Mr. Bergstrom reading Charlotte's Web, I, which takes about three hours to read. I took a look online to see how long the audiobook versions are. So did he just use up three hours of school time to read them the entire Charlotte's Web? Okay, so I was going to bring this up because uh -huh. I was going to bring it up after the day was over, but I'll bring it up now. Yeah. 
So Bergstrom gets a lot done in what I assume is a single day. Yeah. Because he teaches them about the Western. Mm-hmm. He sings to them. Yep. Gives them pemmican. Yep. He um, sings the song. He reads um, Charlotte's Web. Mm-hmm. And he has each of the kids show off what their talent is. Oh, yeah. That's a lot for a single day. It really is. I, Man, he's a good teacher. Why couldn't all teachers be this good? Yeah, seriously. Uh, also, uh, Charlotte's Web, I... I Maybe because they're not paid enough. Pay teachers more. Yeah, that's actually the big <laughs> thing is teachers make really crummy salary for what they do. They're just, you know, the the force that's making, you know, society better for the future as they're teaching everyone's children. But uh, you know, just pay them whatever, you, you know, chump change, no biggie. So I, I, I... You know, I oh, and and by the way, how do you like Charlotte's Web? I love Charlotte's Web. I, I never read the book. I well, actually, you know, I think when I was a kid, uh, I think my mom might have read Charlotte's Web with me when I was really little, and then I remember the cartoon version. Oh, the cartoon version of it's so good, it's really good. They did a pretty good job with Charlotte's it. Charlotte's Web is one of those stories that is so depressing that it's known for what's depressing about it mm-hmm. more so than the story itself, and I feel yeah. like that's a shame. Yeah, I think so. Like. Charlotte's Web, Old Yeller, Winnie the Pooh are all things that are super depressing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Winnie the Pooh at least has grown above and beyond that. But yeah. all anybody thinks about Old Yeller is the ending. All anybody thinks about Charlotte's Web is the ending. Don't worry, Sean. That's my dog. That's my Charlotte. <laughs> That's my Charlotte. <laughs> I. So I, they, yeah, started talking about special talents. Uh, as Mr. Bergstrom cries reading, you know, Charlotte's Web and stuff. And then, they, you know, he feels that Lisa's holding out on him. And, you know, because all the other kids are, are have all these talents. Like one kid can turn his eyelids inside out. Uh, I don't remember what Janie's was. I don't either. It was kind of a weird one, I feel like. But, I, I, you know, he, he says, you know, he's like, I see your saxophone, Lisa. I bet you can play. I bet you're great. Why don't you play for us? And Lisa's too embarrassed. Now, I feel like she's got to be embarrassed because Bergstrom himself is there, right? Because oh, yeah. Lisa has done recitals. Lisa's done recitals. She plays in the band. It's not just her sax that she just keeps with her at school. No, it's she's nervous because she's with someone she's infatuated with. Yeah. And uh, he tells Lisa, you know, it's the, like, you know, class is ending. He says, you know, I'm going to let you get away with this, but you owe me. You owe me a talent. And I... I you know, we have uh, uh, Mrs. Krabappel at the end of the school day is with, uh, you know, Mr. Bergstrom. And she says that she needs a substitute to teach her a lesson she sorely needs. Krabappel is thirsty. Oh, yeah, she is. Is this the first time we learned she's divorced? Yeah, she. I think this is the first time. She does mention she's. There's no longer a Mr. Kerbapple in the picture. I, yeah, I don't remember how she phrases it exactly, but she says that Mr. Kerbapple is no longer around. And uh, and of course, this is in reference to the fantastic film starring Dustin Hoffman, The Graduate, where he says, you're trying to seduce me, Mrs. Kerbapple. Oh, is that a line from The Graduate? Yeah, it's you're trying to seduce me, Mrs. Robinson. Oh. I will force Craig at some point throughout the listening of this podcast to watch The Graduate because it is one of the best films of all time and there are so many Simpsons references that are from it. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to have to absolutely catch that. Uh, yeah, because I've never seen it. I uh, I feel really bad for Kerbapple throughout the series. Not only is she always stuck dealing with all these bratty kids, uh, you know, especially Bart, uh, but uh, she wants to be with somebody. And it doesn't work out for her. No, she has bad luck with men. <laughs> she does. Mr. Kerbapple ran off with their marriage counselor. Well, there is uh, another reference to Kerbapple uh, being divorced, or or at least having an affair uh, at the time, uh, was the sushi chef hooked up with Kerbapple. She, she hooked up, but did we really know she was divorced at the time, or was it just... It, they, we might not have known at the time. Okay. Yeah, that could. Uh, yeah, so it was. I think probably pretty vague then. I uh, somebody probably wrote that in there, and they're like, "Oh shit, she's called Mrs." Oh, I. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I uh, uh, Lisa hears that is elated, and uh, as uh, Mr. Bergstrom is like finishing up his work for the day, Lisa plays her saxophone out on the baseball diamond for him, 
uh, as the sun is setting. I think it's the sun is setting, right? Or am I crazy? Am I imagining no, that? No, I think it's the sun setting. And, uh, and you know, Bergstrom claps for her, and she's in love. Yeah, she is totally head over heels for him. And so uh, we'll see how that plays out as we move forward. I, I'm going to say a child-loving and adult, probably not going to end well for her, but well, we'll see. I, what, you think a child-loving adult is weird? No, but I think that if it was reciprocated, it would be weird. Yeah, yeah there'd be serious <laughs> jail time if it was reciprocated. You ain't kidding. So uh, it, uh, we now see uh, Marge is doing laundry, and Lisa's in the basement with her, and toxic waste drums are in the background. Yeah, that's weird. I noticed that. I feel like uh, Mr. Burns just forces his employees to take the waste home with them for the day. <laughs> uh and so uh, Lisa is not feeling this whole her parents are in love thing because I love this way the scene plays out. Well, we see that that Lisa has a little bit of issue with the fact that Homer is not the best dad, not the best husband, because, you know, Mar- you know, Lisa will be like, oh, my God, he does this thing with his face when he smiles. And like and Marge is like, oh, I noticed these lovely things about your father as well. And she's like, Mom, that's totally different. So I don't think it's so much that, so much as a child doesn't comprehend <coughs> that their parents can be in love. I think it's a weird concept for a child. Yeah. And I think that's why Lisa is the way she is, because she thinks that her feelings are her own and mm-hmm. that not everybody else can experience them. And that could be, because that is a very childlike thing, you know, because children are inherently selfish. You know, they, they sort of, they, like mentally, especially an even younger child than Lisa, cannot fathom the feelings of anyone else. Yeah. Like babies and like young, young toddlers are almost like sociopathic. They just can't, they cannot wrap their heads around the fact that other people feel the way they do. And like, you know, it's as teaching them and saying like, no, 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 share with your friends. No, no, no. You know, don't be mean. Don't hit people. You know, that they start to kind of start to realize these things. And so Lisa at least should be old enough to the point for that. But yeah, I mean, especially for an adolescent, you know, well, she's going she, to. She should be older than that. But the thing is, it's a new experience for Lisa. That's which true. Is part of why she probably sees that her mom doesn't feel that way. Yeah, and that's she's not used to it. Yeah, it, it is a new feeling for her. And to top it off, I uh, well, I don't know because we do at least know that she has been infatuated with other boys because of like the Corey magazine. Yes. So she at least has some, maybe it's not love, but there's certainly an infatuation. I'm sure because why would she be looking at these boys of like preteens or or these magazines of preteen boys? If she didn't have some, like she wasn't read, we don't read playboy or the Corey magazine for the article, Sean. It's just how it goes. That's all playboy is now. They don't have nude pictures in it anymore. Really? Yeah. That was a big thing like a year ago. What a strange era we live in. Playboy's just all about the articles now. And it's only online and nobody reads it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho. So, uh, I, yeah, so as far as that goes, yeah, I can totally see your point, though, that uh, uh, it, it is a little bit more of a selfish thing for her, but it is a new thing. And, you know, for an adolescent, yeah, like, you know, those kind of feelings are very, like, I didn't really talk about my first crushes that much because I sort of felt like, like, who else would understand this? Yeah, it's a very weird feeling. It's kind of weird because when you look at your parents, you often don't look at things and think like, oh, my parents are people too. They're your yeah. parents. They're kind of on a different level. When you're a kid, yeah, absolutely. Even as an adult, I notice things where I'm like, I'm the same age my parents were in all my childhood memories. That's weird. Yeah, That's that, weird to me that yeah. like my childhood memories, they were the age I am now. That's freaking weird. Oh, for me, it's even weirder. My mom was uh, fairly young when she had me. She was in, uh, she was like 21, 22 or something like that. Oh, yeah. So you're like well past that. Oh, yeah. When I was in my mid-20s, my mother would have been raising me. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, my mom would have had uh, like, uh, what would it have been, like a 10-year-old or something? something uh, a little more, a little older. I'd, I'd have been like almost a punk teen. Yeah. That's super weird. I don't like thinking about that. <clears throat> Anywho, uh, so Lisa mentions to her mother that uh, Mr. Bergstrom uh, also cried during Charlotte's Web. And we also see some 1990s stigma about men crying as Homer and Bart are like, oh. Hang on. Back to your mother for a second. Back oh, yeah? to your mother for a second because uh-huh. I'm going to make it even weirder. Oh, yeah? 
you are currently the age your mother would have been when we became friends. Oh, <laughs> is that, that is, weird? Is yeah, that weird? <laughs> that is kind of weird. That is, yeah, that's weird to think about. Man. Man, time is weird. Yeah, it is. But yeah, back to Perkstrom. Yeah, yeah. So I, 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 you know, we, we move on and I, uh, I believe it's uh, a scene of Lisa talking uh, with uh, uh, Bergstrom, right? Because isn't it like he mentions the museum? Is that this scene? Yeah, that's this scene where he mentions the museum is going to be closing forever. Yeah, and he's like, uh, uh, Lisa, I want to talk to you. And uh, he's like, your homework is very good. Do you have help from your father? Because much like a lot of other adults, we find that Lisa is very gifted. She's very intelligent. And a lot of adults perceive that as help from mommy or daddy. And so Bergstrom's like, you know, does your dad help you out with your homework? And Lisa starts throwing shade. Oh, dude, she's embarrassed by her dad. Oh, yeah. And I, uh, it's interesting because, like, there is a point where Bergstrom says, you know, when I was a kid, my father, and she cuts him off. And she's like, my father isn't, like, wouldn't be that way or, like, isn't that way or something. And it's like, Lisa, you're shooting yourself in the foot. You could be learning about your love's childhood. This is prime time for you. And she's just like, no, no, cuts him off. I, I think she cuts him off and says, unless the next word is burp, it's not my father or something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, throws a lot of shade. Meanwhile, uh, Martin and Bart are running against each other for class president. And Martin is concerned about all the asbestos in the class. You know, there's a problem with asbestos. What's that? They've just got too much asbestos in there. No, Sean. I say that we need more asbestos, more asbestos, more asbestos. And Martin is is losing. He's he's losing pretty bad to Bart. As the as Bart has like this charisma and can rally the class. And even though Martin might be a better class president, Bart is funnier. So the class likes him. Yeah. I. Uh, also, that's how a lot of elections work. It's a popularity contest. Also, j- jokes aside, uh, that is a really funny joke, but uh, asbestos is actually really dangerous and can cause cancer and like all these terrible things. And Yeah, yeah, but it also stops flames. So It balances out, right? It's win-win. Yeah, it was win-win what we're looking for. Cancer and fire retardant, yes. <laughs> that's all we need in life. Mm-mm. Sure appreciate having all this cancer and, and not being on fire. Mm, asbestos will keep me when I some warm. <laughs> so, uh, I, Bart and uh, uh, Homer, though, are kind of bonding. Homer is super excited that Bart is going to run for class president because it's President Simpson is like the greatest title anyone could have, and it, Bart will be the first to have that and will ever have that. And, and Bart says to Homer... Dad, it's just a popularity contest. Just a popularity <laughs> contest. And he tells Bart that it's the most important thing. The most important thing. Another example of Homer not really being a good dad. Yeah, but you know what? We're going to get an example at some point of him being a good dad. That's true. Uh, however, uh, I do like the uh, sign that uh, uh, Homer makes for uh, Bart that says, Sex! Now that I have your attention, vote for Bart. It might be one of my favorite gags. So I'm not sure, but I think Family Guy stole that joke. Oh, really? I think it is in Family Guy at some point. And if any of our listeners know it is, please point it out to me because I'm pretty sure they stole that joke. Yeah, reach out to us on the uh, GameZilla Media Discord for sure. Jump on GameZillaMedia.com. You can catch that link there. And uh, join us on the Discord for sure because I... if they, yeah, if that's a stolen joke, I'd like to know. Uh, however, we uh, see Lisa and Mr. Bergstrom looking down on, uh, uh, I believe it's them looking down on Bart as he's outside, you know, rallying the class and stuff. And everyone's like they're making jokes and like, you know, getting a kick out of them. And, uh, and Mr. Bergstrom says that you'll miss your brother's antics. And she's like, when? She's like, Never. And he's and Mr. Bergstrom says, you know, when you're going off into the world and doing all these amazing things, you'll remember this and you'll you'll appreciate it. And and it's a wonderful, wonderful line that really is sort of telling to the future of what the characters will be. Because yeah, we 
we're pretty sure that Bart and Lisa will always get along throughout the rest of their lives. But like in a real world, maybe Bart and Lisa wouldn't be that close as they she goes off to college and does all these things and Bart doesn't, you know. Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird to see this because they are very close mm-hmm. and they stay very close at any time that they do show up as adults, uh-huh. like in Lisa's wedding. Oh, yeah. We see that they are fairly close still. But, I mean, inevitably life will push siblings apart a bit, you know, like raising families or, or work or whatever. There There is always going to be something that's a little sad uh, that, you know, siblings kind of, you know, do their own thing as they get older. Uh and I, uh, Mr. Bergstrom, though, says, you know, like, you know, like, you know, believe me or whatever. He says something like that. You know, you're going to do great things. And uh, Lisa says something around the lines of, like, I believe everything you say, you know, from uh, like from every like, you know, breath you take pushing out these words to your Semitic good looks. And Bergstrom's kind of caught off guard. Yeah, Bergstrom. He's a good teacher, but he does a little too much for the kids to some extent he definitely is giving them way more attention than i i you know his uh like or their regular teacher ever did i wish i would have had a teacher like bergstrom though i'll be honest with semitic good looks i would have had a crush on him (laughs) (laughs) so so i i i i love that uh uh they they're making a card as well for uh miss hoover and i in in the letter that Ralph writes, he says, uh, Kevin won't stop biting me. Is Kevin Ralph's animal? Is Kevin Ralph's imaginary friend? Because that's what I always imagined. I'm not sure. I imagine Ralph had an imaginary friend that kept biting Biting him. Wow, that would be so depressing. (laughs) My imaginary friend won't stop biting me. Maybe it's the leprechaun who tells him to birth. (laughs) <laughs> the leprechaun Kevin. Oh, maybe it is. Uh, uh. What are you doing okay, Ralphie? I'm okay, Mr. Kevin. <laughs> Stop biting me, Kevin. So even as an adult, mm-hmm. I freaking hate when anywhere I work or anything mm-hmm. is like, we have a card for so-and-so. Write something touching to them. Aye, aye. Anytime birthday cards get handed to me for work, I write, it sure is your birthday, and I sign my name. <laughs> On the internet, Facebook says, hey, hey Craig, it's, it's Sean's birthday. Are you going to wish him a happy birthday? It sure is your birthday today. Send. I don't do Facebook birthdays. I don't blame you. You sh- shouldn't bother because Facebook is worthless. Not, not that I'm, you know, cruel and forget your birthday. So if you ever are friends with me on Facebook and I don't, you know, say happy birthday to you, I'm not a jerk. I just, I have a very moral high ground about not doing Facebook birthdays. Really? We worked with somebody who passed away of uh, cancer. And mm-hmm. I was friends with him on Facebook. And his birthday rolled around. And all these people just would go on there and say comments to him. And they wouldn't pay attention to his life at all. They don't listen to anything he says. So they'd be like, can't wait to see you again someday. Hope to see you. And it's like super awkward because he's passed away. Yeah. And that was a moment where I'm like, no, fuck Facebook birthdays. I, I'm not going to do this. This is wrong. It's, you don't yeah. care. You just put happy birthday. Yeah, pretty much. I. Uh, so Marge finds out that this, you know, Lisa wants to go to this museum. And uh, she tells Homer that she thinks that, you know, he should take her. And Homer's brain is like, uh, you know, think of an idea quick or think of something else quick. Sleeping, eating a big sandwich, watching TV, spending time with the boy. Uh, and uh, and he's like, oh, I would, Marge, but I'll be spending time with the boy. And uh, Bart's like, Dad, he's like, I really think that, you know, like you and Lisa have been drifting apart and forces uh, uh, Homer into the situation. And his brain is like, you're trapped. If you were smarter, you might think of something, but you're not. So you might as well. uh, So you might as well just uh, and it gets cut off by Homer. And he's like, all right, I'll go. And he's like, stupid brain. And this, I think, is the first time he argues with himself in his brain, right? I think so. I think it is. So Homer takes Lisa to the museum. And Homer makes a big scene about the suggested suggested donation of four fifty. Have you ever done that? Have you ever gone somewhere with a suggested donation? I have. And have you actually paid it? 
Uh, not usually the amount they were asking, but I you know, might have put in a few bucks or something. Or but you don't have to. It's a suggested donation. They just expect you to put it in there. I love that then when Mr. Bergstrom goes to put money in the donation box, and Homer's like, buddy, you don't have to. Bergstrom immediately from Lisa's stories is like, oh, this must be your father. This is an awkward, awkward part of this episode. There's a really funny line coming up. Oh, there's a great line coming up. It's the same one I'm thinking of. It probably is. So uh, Homer, uh, uh, as they're looking at the mummy, uh, you know, Mr. Bergstrom is like, well, actually, Mr. Simpson, there's quite a lot that we know about the the process of mummification. He goes through, you know, uh, and Homer's like, uh, like, oh, I'd still rather uh, run into him instead of the wolf man. <laughs> yeah. And Lisa's just disgusted by her father. She's so embarrassed. I love that line. Pretty creepy. Sure rather run into him than Dark Alley than the wolf man there's a scene coming up too where lisa's holding mr bergstrom's hand yeah i thought that was a little odd i uh, it especially it's got to be a gut punch for homer who's his daughter's willing to hold her substitute teacher's hand and not his anywho my favorite line i think is uh one of them anyway is is this one and uh mr bergstrom is like you know mr simpson like you're your daughter has a gift, yada, yada. Uh, he's like, you know, like, you know, I, I think, you know, he's like basically implying that like Lisa doesn't respect Homer. And uh, uh, Homer's like, but you can tell, right? She looks around and sees everybody else's dad with a good education, youthful looks and a clean credit record and thinks, why me? What did I do to deserve this old piece of... And Mr. Bergstrom's like, Mr. Simpson, like, you know, he's like, you know, like, you need to do everything you can to repair your relationship with your daughter. You know, he's trying to get them together. Like, Mr. Bergstrom has gone above and beyond imagining for just Lisa, let alone any of the other kids he might be helping as well. And and Homer's like, well, if she's so good, why don't you give her an A? And he's like, I am giving her an A, Mr. Simpson. And he's like, oh, good, but don't tell her that I asked you to. And he's like, Mr. Simpson. And you can tell Dustin Hoffman's voice. He's getting frustrated. Homer is an infuriating person to deal with. Oh, yeah. That's why he's brought in in Hurricane Nettie, because he's so infuriating. Well, it didn't work as well as we think in that one. But uh, as far as that goes, uh, uh, it cuts to Marge and Lisa. And Lisa is just devastated. And she's like, you know, you, you know. I can't believe it, you know, my, my, you know, or my father, you know, ruined this chance. It was the one chance I had. And Marge is like, well, let's treat him to dinner. And so I, uh, for the record, Marge, uh, when Lisa's like, oh, well, can I do this? Can I do that? Marge will not let her pierce her ears, paint her nails or have wine. And yes, Bart has to be there. Yes, Bart does. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, she, she's, I, I, you know, thinking of like, you know, how am I going to ask her, you know, sir, you know, Mr. Bergstrom, would you be interested in like coming to my place, you know, so you can have pork chops? And she goes, oh, no, 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 no. Of course he wouldn't be interested because he's Jewish. That's the joke. Did you get it, Sean? Oh, I got it. Did you Did you get it? I got it. Did Because Jewish people don't eat pork. Yeah, I got it. Did, did, you, did, you, did you get it? I got it. <laughs> so she opens the door. She's about to ask Mr. Bergstrom to, to you know, come to, to dinner, you know, with her family. And it's Miss Hoover. Mr. Bergstrom is gone. And we learn that her condition was psychosomatic. Because when you hear about it in all the papers and all the magazines and on news, on TV, it's just natural to think you have it. Yeah. Dr. Nick diagnosed it because he heard it. <laughs> Probably. Uh, and Hoover's pissed off. She's like, you know, he didn't touch my curriculum. What was this guy doing? And Lisa says, and he taught her that life is worth living. And she runs out of the room crying. God damn, Lisa. That line is such a knife in Hoover's heart right there. Right? Like, ah. Oh. A great line, but yeah, that's rough. Uh, so we find that, I, I, you know, Lisa has gone to the Happy Gypsy, where you pay by the day. How did she learn where he lived? I don't know. It's kind of, I feel like there there must have been an investigative side where she had to do some digging. Or maybe she followed him home one day. Maybe she somehow brought it up and worked it into conversation. I have no in the trunk of his car and jumped out when yeah, she got know. there. I don't know. 
I and hit, uh, un- hit underneath his bed while he slept and just listen to the sound of him sleeping. That's how I interact with all the uh, people I'm interested in. You know, you sleep funny, Sean. You know that? Oh, I know. Oh, <laughs> Anywho, I know. <laughs> so I. I I love that the the lady at the apartment complex who's like cleaning it out or whatever or the hotel or whatever this is it doesn't have to be a hotel it couldn't be an apartment I uh, and I uh, I uh, they mentioned that I uh, uh, or she mentions that I uh, <laughs> uh, Mr Bergstrom taught her that Leland Stanford I uh, I. Uh, what was it? He's like, she said something of the nature of like Leland Stanford drove that, or no, it's because he's going on the train. Yes, he's going on the train. And it's the backbone of like the American, like, you know, transportation since Leland Stanford drove in that golden spike. And they both go, ah. He when, touched you too. Huh? Yep. Kind of a weird out of, out of context statement. But anyway, I. He touched you too, <laughs> huh? <sighs> I. And Leland Stanford was indeed. Uh, uh, he was a former California governor and business tycoon, and was the guy who drove in the the golden spike that signaled the end of the uh, 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 trains that led to California. I. Uh, however, right now, as Lisa's trying to hunt down, I, uh, uh, you know, Mr. Bergstrom, uh, while she skipped school, while she's totally skipping school, a first for Lisa. Uh, we have uh, Krabappel and the recount because so, mm-hmm. before this, we have them going in. They have to make their final debates. Yep. So this scene very much parodies the first televised presidential debate between JFK and Richard Nixon. <laughs> Martin is the Richard Nixon of the city. I have nothing more to say. He's stressed. He looks gross and grody and just... He's not a good person to have on camera. Very pale. Very pale, very disgusting. And then there's charismatic Bart, the John F. Kennedy, uh-huh. who just sweeps through the debate. Victory party under the slide. We have cupcakes. And everybody goes to that victory party. They sure do. And because they all go to the victory party, not a one of them votes. Not even Bart. Bart didn't vote for himself. He forgot. And so they get back into the class and... Martin and Wendell, the only two who voted for Martin, make sure that Martin is class president. And I uh, I love that Bart demands a recount. And Krabappel says, all right. And she pours him out the two. And she goes, one, two. Do you want another recount? And Bart's like, no. And she's like, well, I'd love to see one. She's like, one, two, two. Uh, and this, of course, is also a, a parody when uh, Martin picks up the newspaper that says Bart, you know, elected class president. I uh, and a, another picture is taken. It's uh, parodying. It is a parody, I should say, uh, on the fact Dewey defeats Truman because uh, the Chicago Daily Tribune ran the wrong headline when Truman defeated Dewey in an upset victory uh, for president on November third, nineteen forty-eight. Got some random historical notes for this episode. I like it. Oh yeah, that's what I'm here for, man. I uh, and so we have. Lisa arriving at the train station, and Mr. Bergstrom is getting on board, and she confronts him. She wants to know how he could come into her life, mean so much, and just leave. And Mr. Bergstrom says it's the life of a substitute teacher. He makes a remark about how like one day he's teaching French, another day he's like putting on gym shorts and blowing a whistle. He says that's the problem. With, of being middle class. Anybody who really cares will abandon you for those who need it more. Ouch. The truth hurts so bad. Lisa's upset. She she says that there'll never be another teacher uh, like Mr. Bergstrom. And he's like, no, you'll have... Well, actually, okay, yeah, I'm the best teacher you'll ever have. You'll never have anyone better than me. He says, but whenever you're feeling alone... And there's nobody you can rely on. This is all you need to know. Writes down a note, hands it to Lisa, and she asks if she can run alongside the train as it speeds away from her life. And as it and him speed away yeah, from her as life. As it and him speed away from uh, her life. And uh, Mr. Bergstrom gets on the train, sees Lisa running, pops open the window, and he yells, read the note. So I got to ask, because there's 
the reference to the graduate earlier on mm-hmm. in the film. Yeah. Is this a reference to Rain Man's ending? Because in Rain Man, Dustin oh. Hoffman gets onto the train and Tom Cruise's character follows after him as the train is going at the train station. Oh, it's got to be that. It's got to be, right? Because I haven't seen Rain Man in a long time, but you're right. But that's how the film, like, that's the big climax before you have, like, a final scene where Tom Cruise is able to see his brother. Yeah. But, yeah, that's how it goes is he's taken away from his life on a train. Mm-hmm. Dustin Hoffman goes away. Oh, it's absolutely follows. a reference. It's got to be a reference, right? Yeah, it has to be. You're absolutely correct. Lisa... As it, the train is in the distance, opens it up, and it says, you are Lisa Simpson. Which is amazing. It's all she needs. It's all she needs is that she is Lisa Simpson. The episode could have ended right there, and I would have been fine. But it still gets good. It does. So, we have the Simpsons at the table. And as they're eating grapes, uh, there's yeah. like a pile of like purple orbs they're eating. It's really weird. I, uh, Lisa's upset, and and Bart. Well, actually, Homer is upset because Bart lost. He's you know like, oh my god, this is the worst day ever. I can't believe Bart lost. And he looks to Lisa, who's also sad, and says, "Well, it's your problem." And she says, "I, uh, you know, you wouldn't understand." And Homer says. That just because I, I what was it? It's like just because I don't care doesn't mean I don't understand. Yes, which is a horrible line from Homer, but it makes sense. I mean, it does. It's terrible, but it is the truth. It is honesty, but it's not the kind of honesty you want to lay on your child. Yeah, it's definitely the ugly truth. It is. Homer is a piece of crap and doesn't care. And. Lisa says that I'm glad I'm not crying because I wouldn't want you to feel like, you know, it's anything involving you. You are a baboon. And Homer says, and everybody at the table gasps. And because this is maybe the first time Lisa has lashed out at Homer. Probably. I mean, we've seen her lash out at Bart. Sure. He ruined her Thanksgiving. Never Homer. Yeah. And don't be wrong, she knows that Homer is not the greatest dad and that he ignores her for the most part because he you know, doesn't get what she's into. And she considers it almost a blessing, which is super sad. We've you know seen that before in the Putt-Putt episode. I, I, yeah. I, oh, what is that episode called? Dead Putting Society. Dead Putting Society, thank you. I, and she says, you're a baboon. And Homer's like, I don't think that you know what you're saying, Lisa. She goes, baboon, 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 and runs off crying, sobbing. And I... Bart says a great line at this moment. <laughs> he says, yeah, what is it, the line he says? He says, I always thought somebody would say it. I just didn't think it would be her. <laughs> and Homer is offended. He says that he... he the, the baboons are the stupidest, ugliest, smelliest apes of them all. And Marge is furious. She says, Homer, you have no right to be offended. And she's, uh, and this line actually throws me off. Uh, she says, uh, uh, you have no right to be offended. You have to like go up there and talk to her because she says, no little girl, or no, yeah, no little girl can be happy if she doesn't have faith in her daddy. Yeah, I was going to bring this line up. I grew up I, I, I that, that's why I was gonna bring this line up so we can yeah. have a conversation about this so, so let's go for it so I this line always stuck to me and just just like a, a like a needle in my brain because my father passed away when I was young and it was my mom my sister and I and it always struck me as odd because it was like how like that line no little girl can be happy if she doesn't have faith in her daddy my sister didn't have a dad growing up. Like, this line always stuck out to me as like, ugh, like, I mean, I get the family dynamic and the sitcom-y nature of what we're going with here, but, like, there are children that don't have fathers. There are children that don't have mothers. There are children that might might have two mothers or two fathers. Like, there's, and obviously that kind of sort of broad, or, you know, uh, uh, more honest thinking and more progressive thinking you know, obviously that wasn't in the, the minds of the writers in the 1990s, but, like, how have none of the group of writers didn't have, like, 
just a mom growing up or just a dad growing up. Yeah, it's kind of a weird scenario to think about. Yeah. I was going to bring that up because that mm-hmm. struck me as odd. Yeah. I appreciate you uh, thinking about that, too, because, it, yeah, it caught me off guard. And it always it had caught me off guard previously. So we get into Lisa's room. She has an end apartheid now poster. We see that Lisa is is you know, someday, she, Lisa. Someday we're like. getting closer. We are getting closer. This world sucks, and it'll always kind of suck, but it's going to get a little better for South Africa in the future. Here, <sighs> I'm excited for when that day happens. Anywho, me too. <laughs> anywho, uh, so I uh, Lisa's crying, and Homer comes in, and he's like. He's like, honey, are you crying because you called daddy a baboon? And she's like, no. And he's like, ah, nuts. And uh, Homer talks to her about how, uh, you know, he's not very good at these kind of things. He's like sits on her dollhouse. And Lisa at this point is just like flummoxed. She, oh, okay. she can't even kick him out. I've got to bring up this line because uh-huh. this is another line that threw me off. Mm-hmm. Homer says to Lisa, you know, I've never lost anyone special to me. Because they all live under this roof. His what mother. about his mom? His mom. His mom. He thi- his mom. He thinks his mom is dead. But at this point, Abe Simpson has said that he's widowed. I think if I had to wager a guess, I think the writers just like wrote her off and just in any episode where the idea of Homer having a mother came up, they just did. They was just they pulled it out of a grab bag. You know, Abe says that he was widowed. Homer says he never lost anyone special. Did she die in childbirth? You know, at this point, we don't know what the writers are going with. Yeah, it's very weird to me because Homer has lost his mother. Yeah. Homer in his head and canonically, if there is such a canon in The Simpsons, which there kind of isn't, we'll see that, uh, uh, you know, uh, Abe told Homer that his mom died, you know. And at this point, Abe did say that, you know, he's widowed uh, to to be be, uh, B Simmons, Beatrice Simmons. so yeah, I I'm not really sure what was going on there, uh, and maybe this is just sort of a, a parent's kind of excuse, you know, like oh, like everyone important to me is under this roof because Homer has to backpedal because you know he has to think of a way to make Lisa happy. So Homer says, "Well, I might not be good at this stuff, but I'm you know can at least fix your dollhouse because that's what I'm good at, monkey work." And he starts joking with Lisa about how, you know, he's like, give me a banana. <laughs> and like making monkey noises. And she starts to laugh. And he makes her feel better. Uh, Homer then leaves as Lisa thanks, you know, Homer. And, and I think she even apologizes for, for she yelling does. at him. Uh, and he goes in uh, to Bart's room and Bart's all pissed off because he didn't get to be class president. Okay, so Homer's going to later on talk about how he nailed it. Uh-huh. I think, okay, he, he did kind of good with Lisa, kind of good with Maggie. He freaking nails it with Bart. This that is, is the true. best conversation I think Homer has for a man-to-man conversation with Bart. It's not very forced, which is the best yes. part. Homer goes in, and Bart's all pissed, and he's like, well, he's like, you know, if if you know, you would be, or if, if he's going to be class president, is he going to have a lot of extra work to do? And Bart's like, well, yeah. And he's like, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's like, he basically explains to Bart, he says, you know, let the baby have his bottle. In the sense that, yeah, Martin's president, but now he has all this extra work to do, so screw him. Who cares? Screw him. He doesn't get anything better than you. Yeah. You know, he's not better. He doesn't get, like, you know, he doesn't get to, like, throw out a World Series pitch, you know, all this stuff. And, and you know, uh, uh, Bart says, thanks, monkey man, as, as Homer walks out of the room. He sees Maggie crying. He puts the pacifier in her mouth, and then he continues on, and he says, three for three. And I... Uh, I believe he goes down to Marge. Yeah, he goes down to Marge. Yeah, and he says, you know, like, I'm on a roll, uh, you know, and, like, let's go to bed. Yeah, don't say anything. Let's go to bed. I'm on the best roll of my life. Mm -hmm. And the episode closes out with Homer having repaired his relationship with Lisa and has, uh, you know, made Bart feel better about not being class president. And that's how we end. God, do I love this episode. I really love this episode. I, I feel like the lasting impact of this episode is, I mean, there's. I think there's a lot to this episode, but I feel like the lasting impact is that this is a very emotional episode. Not only is this a very emotional episode, but we've seen that Lisa's gifted at playing the saxophone, mm-hmm. but this is the first time her educational gift really comes out. 
Hmm. And someone nurtures that. That's true. She's always been smart, and she's been like kind of the smart character of the show, but they don't really show that in school. Mm-hmm. We get that with Bart, where Bart's the genius, and but Lisa's never the smart kid of her class, and we kind of see that here. Yeah, we know that she's interested in homework and she likes school, like, but we don't really see that in a, a classroom setting. And here, Mr. Bergstrom sort of lets her flourish. You know, asking more intelligent questions, uh, getting kids to, you know, whether it's show off their, their what they're interested in or or showing how sensitive he is and, like, having Lisa appreciate that because she doesn't see that at home. And, yeah, I, I think that uh, uh, that is a, a really big one is Lisa's, you know, more creative and intelligent side is shown here. Uh, and, yeah, it, it – and to me, though, I mean, it's it's just super emotional. Like, yeah, there are other episodes where, like, you know – there's there's sort of, uh, uh, you know, a more serious topic, you know, in, uh, you know, we see Grandpa dealing with death. We see, you know, Bart and Lisa having a fight, you know, Bart running away from home uh, by extension and like all this stuff happens. But like in this episode, it I don't know about you, but it when when Lisa opens that note, it tugs on your heart. Oh, it does. It's totally just such a heartfelt moment. Mm-hmm. And God, I, this is one of the season two episodes I can go to at any moment. You Are Lisa Simpson is almost on the same level as Carl telling Homer that his mother told him never to kiss a fool. Uh huh. And it's then kissing so Homer. Good. Yeah, it is super solid. So let's go ahead and uh, start to close out the uh, the episode here. So. Uh, of course, I want to let everyone know that if you'd like to support Noiseland Arcade, make sure to go to patreon.com slash GameZilla Media, where you're going to be able to get access to our bonus bi-monthly show, uh, Smartline, where we talk about different topics and characters. And otherwise, make sure to check out GameZillaMedia.com for other podcasts that I'm a part of, like Legend of Retro we mentioned and Noobs and Dragons. Noobs and Dragons is starting to come into the finale of the first season. And we'll have a new story after that, so make sure to check that out. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you know, Last Action Podcast and uh, the GameZilla show as well. But, uh, Sean, let's close out the episode with what our favorite quote was. And I think, I think we're in agreement on this I one. think we absolutely are. So let's just say it in unison. You are Lisa Simpson.